Okay, okay, the gospel was a little, un, a little too long this weekend. I understand that. I think some of you were wondering, my God, are we back in Lent already? And I even saw a few of you look at the watches, you know. So I, so I could have cut out that large section of the prodigal son, but that would have destroyed the integrity of the reading. So I'll try to make my sermon short to compensate for taking your time. By the way, to those who are just visiting, uh, don't leave after you've been to communion. I will chase you into the parking lot. Please to go back to the pew and stay until the end of Mass. At the beginning of the Gospel, we're told tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to what? Complain. Now, who were these sinners? They were Jews who, very much like us, in an effort to survive the daily grind of life, to rise up in the world, did not make God a priority. And you know what? Once a person stops making God a priority, it becomes easier and easier to put him further and further away in the back of our minds and hearts. And weeks, months, years, decades, an entire lifetime can pass leaving God out. I don't think it's what we intend to do. It just so easily happens. And they were looked down upon by their religious peers, the Pharisees and scribes, the religious purists who complained against Jesus because he was eating with them. To have a meal in someone's home, according to the standards of Middle Eastern hospitality, this implies there is an intimate relationship. And we see similar complaining when Jesus eats in the house of a tax collector named Levi in Luke chapter 5, verse 30. In chapter 6, verse 7, the Pharisees engage, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, hostile observation of Jesus when he was in the synagogue on a Sabbath and was going to heal a man with dropsy. In chapter 11, verse 53, the Pharisees, the scribes, and now the lawyers quote, began to be very hostile toward him and to cross-examine him about many things, close quote. How did Jesus respond to all this mounting hostility? Because the lost, the disenfranchised, were responding to the grace to listen to Jesus. Well, Jesus told three stories in a row. One of a shepherd who searches for the lost sheep. and When he finds it, he calls his friends and neighbors to come and do what? Rejoice. Then the story of a woman who has a real nice tidy sum of money, but she's missing a coin, diligently searches all over the house. Once she found her, she calls her friends and neighbors to come over and do what? Rejoice. Then the story of the young man who, after arrogantly squandering his inheritance, repents, returns to his father's house, is restored to intimacy with his father, who in turn calls all in the household to what? Rejoice in a salvatory feast. But the older brother refuses to rejoice, and in fact he is seething with anger. How many here are the oldest in their family of the siblings? Isn't it true that we are the best? We toe the line, right? It's always the younger one that's always getting into trouble and gets all the breaks, isn't it? 
Well, the older brother's resentment is intense. He is told the line. He did everything that was expected of him. He never complained once. He never disobeyed his father once. So why is this younger brother getting this break? But in his protest, he seems to give the impression that he did all those things not out of love, not out of joy, but in a spirit of servitude. He felt his status in the family was somehow now going to be diminished with his brother's return despite his father's reassurances. The message, the only proper response to one turning away from sin, the only proper response to be found when one returns to God, is rejoicing. But the Pharisees and scribes, the older brother of the Jews, the dutiful brothers of the Jews, who obeyed all the commandments, kept all the Sabbath laws, kept the temple liturgies, could not permit themselves to find joy in the return of their fellow Jews, who had wandered, had been lost, and now were coming back. It was as if they were somehow threatened by the call of divine mercy, that their exalted position was being called into question. In my Protestant days, I recall a period in which I was doing a lot of mm, church hopping, you know, kind of shopping for a church. I, there was one that I tried for a while, and this couple had walked down the aisle to get to a pew spot. But they kind of gave the impression they were really searching for an area where they didn't have to have much contact with anybody. And as they passed by, there was another couple, just two pews in front of me, who looked at each other. And then they began whispering. You know that type of whispering? It's designed to be discreet but really they're ripping that couple apart and it's just barely audible enough it makes them the center of attention. They didn't like that couple. I don't know for what reason. But it was clear they didn't want them there. Like, you have no business being here. Not with us. I have seen this kind of behavior in Catholic churches as well. And it has always puzzled me because none of us are lily white pure. I know I'm not. We're all sinners. And that's why at every Mass, every divine liturgy, we begin with what? The penitential rite. And we use that first person singular, I. I confess publicly to having sinned in thought, word, deed, act, and my failure to act. And by the way, if one refuses to join in those prayers, one should ask if he or she is really just one of those Pharisees, one of those religious purists who relies on his or her own purity instead of the divine mercy. And then should ask, if you're that perfect, what possible need do you have for Jesus Christ? A common observation from the writings and recorded sayings of the saints throughout history is they never ever thought of themselves as holy people, superior to others. 
quite the opposite. Against the horizon of divine love, they viewed themselves as the worst of sinners. And they advise us that if one wishes to make harsh judgments, it would be far more fruitful to make them about oneself and not others. And when people do return to the faith, however haltingly, however imperfectly, the only proper response, as Jesus tells us, is what? Rejoice. Give thanks. Anything else is from the evil one. 